turn in your Bibles to Mark 10. Mark chapter 10, verses 46 to 52, and that's the passage that Graham is preaching from. That can be found on page 869 of your Pew Bibles. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Okay, last week uh, we looked at how the disciples followed Jesus into the looming storm that was Jerusalem and all the powerful enemies that Jesus faced there. And we concluded that it's better to be with Jesus heading into a storm than to leave him and try and seek our own way of safety and comfort because he's the captain of the storm. And he will steer us through the storms of life and out the other side better and stronger for the journey. And today we're delving into the story of blind Bartimaeus. And on the face of it, it's just another miracle of healing. Just another blind guy getting his sight. But remember, we've been asking the question, why has Mark included this story in his gospel each time we've read a passage? And that's because he's a bigger story that Mark is, is telling. It's a meta-narrative is the, the flash word for it, if you like. And the meta-narrative of the first half of Mark's gospel deals with the question, who is Jesus? And that's why the pinnacle is Peter's confession, you are the Messiah in chapter 8. And the second half of the gospel deals with Jesus' journey to the cross and seeks to answer the question, why did Jesus have to die? And as I delved into the story today, I ended up coming face to face with my answer to Jesus' question that he asked blind Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? And so I'm going to take you on the same journey today. Now, it's not often a preacher tells you to think about something else as he's preaching. But let's face it, our mind goes all over the place in a sermon anyway, right? So, I'm going to ask you to do a bit of multitasking this morning. As as I speak, would you sit with this question? 
What do you want me to do for you? Imagine Jesus uh, asking you that question. What do you want me to do for you? So just sit with that this morning and maybe let it tick away in the back of your mind as I speak and hopefully you'll be able to do both. That's a bit scary for us guys, but um, I'm sure the ladies will be fine. Now this is not the answer you think you should give. That's very important. It's not the answer you think you should give, but the answer that rises up out of you, the true answer, the, the answer that your heart desires. And we're going to hold up our answer to the question this morning to the Lord. And we're going to ask him to examine our response to that question and what it signifies about our hearts. And we're going to ask him to change us by what he shows us. Okay, so that's the journey this morning. So we pick up the story as Jesus continues his um, journey down to Jerusalem from the northern mountains. Remember, he was transfigured on a high mountain right up north. And uh, it looks like he travelled down the Jordan Valley because Jericho is 39 k's northeast of Jerusalem, but it's a thousand metres lower in elevation. So it kind of gives you some idea. Uh, Jer- uh, Jerusalem is, I think, um, 750 metres above sea level. Jericho is 250 metres below sea level, which is pretty crazy. And it's on the way to the Dead Sea, which is the lowest uh, point on the earth. <coughs> So he's come a long way down, both in terms of direction and in terms of elevation. Now it says that Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho with a large crowd crowd following. And they passed a blind man called Bartimaeus, who was begging. And we are told that his name means son of Timaeus. And Timaeus, if you look it up, means he who is highly prized. So Bartimaeus means the son of he who is highly prized. Now, it's rare in the Bible to name one of these guys who was healed, right? Normally, it's the demon-possessed man or some. We're not told the person's name. But here we are. Why would Mark include the name of this man? Some scholars suggest that the reason um, that Bartimaeus is named in the story is that he was a prominent member of the early church. And that makes sense to me, right? Because in uh, 1 Corinthians Uh, Paul says, after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, although some have fallen asleep. In other words, if you want to check out the authenticity of what I'm saying, go and seek out those people that saw it. And it's the same, I think, with Bartimaeus this morning. If you want want to check the authenticity of this story, go and ask Bartimaeus. He's there, right? So I think that's why he is named in the story. Now, when Bartimaeus hears that it's Jesus, he begins to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, which is an interesting title to call out because son of David highlights Jesus' royal lineage from King David and acknowledges him as the long-awaited Messiah or anointed one. So the crazy thing is, despite being blind, Bartimaeus sees. He sees who Jesus is, more so than pretty much anyone else around him. How, how did he get that revelation? He's a blind guy sitting on a road. That's remarkable. But there he is. He, he recognises who Jesus is and he calls out to him. Jesus, son of David. Notice his cry for attention to Jesus too. Have mercy on me. Have mercy. 
That's a cry of a desperate man, right? Someone who knows he's doomed to his current existing, uh, existence unless Jesus does something. It's an authentic, humble cry for mercy. Now, Mark is incredible in the way that he weaves all these stories together. And think about last week when we looked at James and John. And contrast how they approach Jesus. Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Bartimaeus had a humility born of suffering. While James and John had a sense of self-importance born of self-righteousness. And you might think, hey, that's a bit harsh, self-righteousness. Well, think about the nickname Jesus called them, Sons of Thunder. They were probably impulsive in their temperament. They were fiery. And you remember these, (laughs) James and John were the guys that wanted to call down fire on a Samaritan village when the village rejected Jesus. Remember that? They wanted to, Jesus, would you like us to call down fire on these evil people? And Jesus rebuked them. No. Don't do that. So if you're going to call down fire on a whole village, you have to be a little bit self-righteous, I would imagine, don't you think? But the crowd doesn't appreciate his loudness. It says that many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. Now the the Greek word for rebuke here is the same word that Jesus used used in the exorcism of the boy with the unclean spirit. (laughs) Right? It's the same word. And when Jesus rebuked Peter by saying, get behind me, Satan, that's a strong, that's a strong word. The fundamental sense of the Greek word is a warning to prevent something from going wrong. What, what, what do you think they're trying to communicate to Bartimaeus? You're not significant enough for Jesus to bother with you. Sit down and shut up. It would be wrong if you troubled him. Right? That's what they're basically saying. How terrible that the crowd who are followers of Jesus act as a hindrance to Bartimaeus who wants to come to Jesus. And I think, uh, to our shame, I think we need to own the fact that sometimes people come to Jesus in spite of his followers, not because of them. Which is something that should cause us grief about the church. But amazingly, Bartimaeus ignores the crowd and shouts all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Now crowds are funny things, aren't they? Public opinion is a funny thing. It's fickle. Perhaps those who followed him were the ones waving palm branches and cheering Jesus into Jerusalem when he arrived. And maybe some of them might have been those baying for his blood. A few days later. We don't know. That's a pretty bleak thought. But there's a lesson for us here. Public opinion is a weather vane, not a compass needle. Public opinion is a weather vane, not a compass needle. Just because the majority of people hold to a certain point of view doesn't mean it's right. Doesn't mean it's true. And today we are surrounded by great crowds of people telling us that God is a delusion, that he doesn't exist and that we don't need him anymore. Those of us who need Jesus beg to differ. May we, like Bartimaeus, ignore the crowd and follow Jesus anyway. 
Now the crowd might have thought that Bartimaeus was insignificant, but Jesus certainly didn't, because he stopped. You can imagine these hundreds, possibly thousands of people following Jesus, and suddenly Jesus stopped. And it's And not only that, he said to his followers, call him. Why do you think Jesus told the crowd to call Bartimaeus instead of calling Bartimaeus himself? He's calling them to change their attitude. Yeah. Yeah. He's correcting his own followers' behaviour. He's taking the time to form them in the middle of this story. He's teaching them that Jesus is the one who never leaves the one behind. Remember that line in the song? The one who never leaves the one behind. Individuals are important to Jesus. We are important to Jesus as individuals. And may we never consider anyone insignificant to Jesus. And to their credit, his disciples, his followers get the message. And they say, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. <laughs> now, it's, it's, it's always fascinating to me when you look at the Greek versus the English. And, and when you say cheer up, it's like, it's pretty light, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, cheer up, mate, come on. And, and, but, but this word, cheer up, is the same word that Jesus spoke to his disciples when he walked out on the water and they thought that Jesus was a ghost. You can imagine, like, if you, they would have been beside themselves, like, if they, you know, and, and Jesus is calling them, cheer up, take courage. It actually means take courage. Take courage. So we miss some of the gravity of. You imagine blind Bartimaeus crying out to Jesus and thinking that Jesus has left, has gone. Imagine him. Imagine his heart, his grief, his anguish. And when I was looking for a suitable picture to put up, I came across a, a, a pencil drawing of a, a blind man looking at him, shouting his agony to the sky. And I almost put it up, but I, I thought it would be a bit too disturbing and distracting because <laughs> it was so much agony in, in, in the man's face. But I think it's closer to the truth possibly than this one. Cheer up. <laughs> Take courage. It's okay. He hasn't forgotten you. This, this event, this cry to Jesus clearly meant a lot to Bartimaeus. And then Bartimaeus does a very interesting thing. It says, throwing aside his cloak, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. Bartimaeus, he's a beggar, right? He throws aside his cloak, his only means of making a living. Beggars spread out their cloaks like buskers put out their hats. And he cast it aside, leaves it behind. It's like he was sure he wasn't coming back to get it. Which is pretty amazing when you think about it. Now again, this, is, this story acts as a contrast to some of the other stories We've covered. Think of the rich young ruler earlier in the chapter. He couldn't leave all his great wealth behind and follow Jesus, even though Jesus asked him to. Isn't it crazy that Bartimaeus' affliction helped him to see what was really important in life? His blindness was a gift in disguise. 
Because he got to see who Jesus really was. In a way, there are very few people in that, in that story, in that time. Even the, these, Jesus' own disciples didn't have the revelation that Bartimaeus had. Many times in our lives, the things that we really struggle with, the things that afflict us, I think are the same. They're actually gifts in disguise. Because they help us see what's really important in life. They help us see who Jesus is. It's like they sift our hearts. And every, everything that is shallow, like wealth and possessions and stuff like that, we see them for what they are. Whereas the rich young ruler, he couldn't see that. And now we get to the most important question of life. And I believe that Jesus asks everyone on earth this question at some point in their lives, whether they are conscious of it or not. Perhaps conscious of him. We all think, what do we want? Pretty much all the time, don't we? But I think there's times in our lives we sense God come close to us. And God asks us the same question. What do you want me to do for you? Now, the, interest, the fascinating thing is, his response, what do you want me to do for you, is exactly the same as his response that he um, gave to James and John when they came to him and wanted to be seated at Jesus' left and right. And the NIV translation, exactly the same. What do you want me to do for you? But if you look at Young's literal translation, and here's, a, again, a fascinating thing about the Greek, there's a difference that's not captured by the NIV. And you can look this up if you want. Mark 10.36 what, what do ye wish me to do for you? So that's his response to James and John. But to Bartimaeus, What wilt thou I may do to thee? What wilt thou I may do to thee? The emphasis on James and John is on them. You. The emphasis for Bartimaeus is on Jesus. What wilt thou I may do to thee? Why the difference? Why isn't it exactly the same Greek? It seems to me that Jesus' response to each question mirrors the heart focus of each. The heart of James and John was focused on themselves. In other words, they they pretty much said to Jesus, we want you to do what we want. We want you to do what we want. And so Jesus... Uh, question and reply was focused on them. What do you want me to do for you? But the heart of Bartimaeus' humble cry for mercy was focused on Jesus. Jesus, son of David. Jesus, son of David. Have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David. Right? His focus is crying out to Jesus. And so Jesus' response to Bartimaeus is focused on himself as well, what wilt thou I may do to thee? What's the significance of this subtle thing? I think there's a huge significance. The takeaway point is that Jesus' response to people mirrors their hearts. And we've seen a similar mirroring earlier in Mark's Gospel. Like, remember, if you come at Jesus with the law, you'll get the law. Right? It's a mirror. The way people come to Jesus... It's the, way that this, it's, it's the way that Jesus responds in return. You come at Jesus with the law, you'll get the law. If you come at Jesus with humility, you'll get grace. It's that same mirroring. 
In a similar way, the request that we direct to Jesus betray our heart's motivation. And we need to be aware of this principle that we will get in return what we come at Jesus with. And it's important. It's really important. So we need to take the time to ask ourselves, what does my question reveal about the focus of my heart? Or to put it more simply, question your questions. Okay? Think about it this way. Would you like the focus of Jesus' response to your request to be on what he will do for you, like Bartimaeus, or what you want, like James and John? Who got what they asked for? That's right. Okay, so the focus of our heart seems to have a big impact on what we end up receiving. The focus of our heart seems to have a big impact on what we end up receiving. So, we'll ask that question again. Who got what they asked for? Firstly, let's take James and John. Their request was, let one of us sit at your right and the other on your left in your glory. They asked for the big seats next to Jesus in the kingdom of God. They wanted the places of the greatest honour and the greatest significance where everyone could see how important they were. Right? And so the president and then the vice president and then the chief of staff or whatever they're called. Right? They wanted people to see how important they were. They wanted significance from people, which is the one thing that Jesus couldn't give them. Okay? If your heart's desire is actually to receive significance from other people, it's the one thing Jesus can't give you. And I see this in my own life. As I, as I reflect on my own journey, um, particularly my long journey of singleness, what I wanted was significance from a human being. And Jesus couldn't give that to me. Jesus replied that to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. In other words, if you're looking for me to give you significance among people, that's not what I came to give. I have come to tell you that you are significant to me. That's Jesus' message. That each of us are significant to him. So that's, do you see how important that is? In contrast, Bartimaeus' request was this rabbi I want to see. Again, the English translations miss the detail of the Greek. Because the Greek word that Bartimaeus uses for rabbi here is actually rabboni. Does that word ring a bell, rabboni? It's only used one other time in the Gospels, and that's where Jesus reveals himself to Mary after his resurrection. Remember, Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher, but not just teacher. It means the mark of utmost respect and honour, usually reserved for the top religious leader in Judaism. In fact, the word can also be translated master. And the, the old King James actually uses Lord. Okay? <laughs> so here we are, teacher. It, it, Misses so much, doesn't it? He's calling Jesus his Lord and Master, not just teacher. 
Isn't it remarkable that a blind man could have this insight when Jesus' own disciples, James and John, the word that they use for teacher, just means, it's like, hey, yeah, you know some stuff. Pretty much, is it? You're good at what you do and you know some stuff. That's a totally different Greek word. It still means teacher, but it's just like the difference between the mechanic down the road and the top mechanic in New Zealand. <laughs> it's, that, it's that kind of level. <clears throat> How could they say use that word after everything they saw Jesus do? It's, it's a mystery. And what was Jesus' response to Bartimaeus? Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. He followed Jesus along the road. No mention that he went back for his cloak. Now it might seem weird that Jesus told him to go and instead he went with him. Until, again, here's this, this thread that Mark is weaving through his gospel. This word go is exactly the same word he used in his instruction to the rich young ruler. Remember? Go, sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Exactly the same way. Isn't that crazy how Mark is... What a, what a storyteller. How much depth there is here. The rich man turned away. He couldn't part with his possessions. Bartimaeus didn't have much, but what little he had, he left behind to follow Jesus. He was a true disciple in the way that the rich young ruler could have been. Jesus' kingdom is completely upside down compared with the kingdom of the world. Rich man, poor man, the first slipped to last. The last jumped the queue to the top. James and John, out for significance in the eyes of other people, ask for the one thing Jesus can't give them. The blind man has spiritual sight. He believes he's significant to Jesus. And that's the main message that Jesus has for us in the, in the, in the form of the cross. We are significant. Isn't Mark... An incredible storyteller, simple, plain speaking, but as skillful as they come, weaving together people, themes, and even phrases, contrasting characters and attitudes to make his point and to challenge us. So, what is Mark's point today? Well, I think for me, the challenging thing for me today, we can see that blind Bartimaeus asked Jesus for the gift of sight so that he could follow Jesus. Right? He didn't get healed and then go back to making his plowing his fields or whatever he, he was doing before he was blind. Or maybe he was blind since birth. But he didn't ask for healing so that he could go and do something else. He asked for healing so that he could follow Jesus more closely. He was already Jesus' disciple, even though he was physically, physically blind. He could see who Jesus was. And that's obvious in how he referred to Jesus. Right? Jesus, son of David. But the gift of sight removed a barrier that prevented him from following his Lord and Master more closely. And he did follow Jesus all the way to the cross and beyond and into the early church. He was a true disciple. Now, come back to where we started. How's your response? What do you want me to do for you? That Jesus is asking you. My response I was thinking, basically about making my life easier. I was like, wouldn't it be great if I could have time to work on my Land Rover? 
Do I want Andrew or Little? One had to do for years. Wouldn't it be great? And then the Lord showed me this. The most important thing for Bartimaeus was to actually remove a barrier from his life that kept him from following Jesus. You see his heart? Does that challenge your own heart? What did you ask Jesus for? Was it to remove a barrier so that you could follow him? Or was it something like a Land Rover? I felt gently rebuked that my request was about my own comfort rather than being closer to Jesus. My response was sadly more like James and John than Bartimaeus. My one consolation though was that James and John matured into true disciples. And that gives me hope that I too may mature one day in a similar way. But it does reveal to me that I've got a fair way to go. Discipleship means transformation. Beginning with a radical perceptual shift. Everything Jesus says and does, his actions and teachings, they are all an invitation to a different way of seeing. Seeing Jesus, firstly, and in the light of Jesus, seeing the world and your life. What are you going to make of it? What are you going to do with it? As I entered into this different way of seeing, I asked myself the question, what barriers in my life stop me from following Jesus more closely? And to my chagrin, is that the way you say it? I saw that my desire for comfort and ease was actually (laughs) such a barrier to following Jesus. You see, (laughs) oh dear. Yeah. So the very thing I was going to ask the Lord for was the very thing that could act as a potential barrier from me following Jesus more closely. Would Jesus answer such a request, do you think? Probably not. What about you? What barriers in your life stop you from following Jesus more closely? So I'd like this to be the focus of an ongoing meditation for you this coming week. Remember, the Lord has made us perfect forever. We don't need to be, we don't need to be condemned or ashamed by what we find in our hearts. He has made us, but it's He that makes us perfect. It's not us. But at the same time, we can bring out these things, these deficiencies, if you like, in our hearts and allow God to sift our hearts, examine our hearts. And let's be inspired by the story of this man, Bartimaeus. What an incredible, true disciple whose heart motivation was simply being close to and following his Lord.